The Sober Sojourns 12 Steps and Passport Stamps podcast features recovered men and women who are practicing members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12-step program. We are friends gathered to discuss our experience in recovery. The discussions in this podcast represent our own individual experiences and opinions as of today. You can reach us at our email address, which is SoberSojournsPodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at OyveAA and such as Sally. We would love to hear from you. Our aim is to try to be helpful by sharing the realities of our recovery, how we have recovered and are trudging the road of happy destiny wherever we go. Pirate Mike and OyveAA presents The Sober Sojourns. 12 Steps and Passport Stamps Podcast. Sober Soldiers, 12 Steps and Passport Stamps Podcast. Hi, I'm uh, I am Oyveye, and I'm Pirate Mike. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. I was gonna make a joke. I'm like, hey, I think we just took like a five minute bathroom break before we recorded this. <laughs> no, it's been. I I I'm a nervous peer. Peer, I pee <laughs> nervously, so I, just, I have to take a break before we start. How do you feel about the first episode, though? good actually yeah i mean um i had a chance to listen to it right because i guess i like the sound of my voice more than i think i do oh yeah i don't i don't really i don't really but no there was um it was it was good to be able to listen to it outside of the actual recording process because um i caught more you know i mean i was totally listening to everything you had to say but then having the space to like think about it separately and you know i like to pause and think so it was good how about you um you do like to pause and think i agree i <laughs> you're you're a pauser by nature no nervous pauser <laughs> yeah no i listened to it and um <clears throat> i think i i laughed and i cringed kind of the same amount which is i guess yeah, yeah you know what that's a good amount so yeah it was fun and you know getting like nice and kind reactions from friends and stuff like that. That's, that's like the best part. And yeah, yeah definitely enjoying it. Definitely enjoying the, yeah, just all of it. Yeah. Of it. I know that was, that was one of the things, right. It was like, okay, let's put it out there and it reaches who it reaches. And then, but honestly, you know, if it made one person laugh and if that person was even just me, it was me. Yeah, it's okay. exactly. It's okay. It was just us. Um, but the I'm really excited for today, <clears throat> and the reason is, um, that I I think once we start talking about this, this is the first ideas that came up, which is um, America, land of the free, <laughs> home of the brave. <laughs> no, I feel like this is such a disclaimer. If any Americans are listening to this. This is going to be a fun one. I I have a lot to say about it. and um, But before I start going off on my um, kosher exploits <laughs> in the United States. Is that the episode um, title? 
maybe i don't know <laughs> i have some episode title ideas and i'll tell you later once this recording is done but um i feel like this might be a two-parter because as i say uh way too much is that the us is way too big but before we get into that i really want to hear about your experience because i'm a little unclear on that because i know it was like vastly different than mine when like how old are you when you got there do, do you mind sharing some background around that yeah um i mean i was so i was 18 when i moved to the us it was right out of high school but um in the first time that we visited because i had i had family who was already living over there and uh um i might have been like eight years old and that was first us trip first disneyland experience you know so we had wow. that. oh did you go to disneyland we we definitely went to disneyland um <laughs> we, dad shares this story where i guess he built up this expectation right that he was gonna take his kids on a plane across the ocean we land in california and then we're gonna be saw awestruck by like everything that we see and mm. he tells the story like he told this story over and over again how, like we landed in the airport we took a bus to the hotel and we're in los angeles right and um he's like mikey look at all the look at all the palm trees like and all this and and I'm unimpressed apparently I'm just like oh we have those too in the Philippines <laughs> and it didn't mean that I wasn't impressed but I just you know it wasn't palm trees that I was interested in seeing um the U.S. for me has always been this uh so where I grew up I'm not going to speak on behalf of like everyone in my country but that always seemed to be the American dream was always the dream it was always something that I saw yeah. on tv right yeah. our at the time our shows were delayed so i was watching like tv shows that were from the 70s 1970s <laughs> and the 1980s and whenever oh, i, I saw it. that i know i was like so imagine imagine my my shock when i came in and it's like these people don't look like anything like the ones on tv they look so much more contemporary um but things like <laughs> they're things not like in the, black and white they're not in black and white they don't have that weird poofy hair anymore what's going on um like things like snow I mean we didn't have snow so the idea of a white Christmas even though I knew the song was something that I always like um held up to fantasy and so it, it that was kind of my relationship with the U.S. it was a very idealized one um you know a lot of the cues I think socially culturally here in the Philippines there's been a love affair with America since I don't even know 1930s 40s 50s like the Hollywood dream and so I always kind of looked at it that way. And I did, you know, I grew up in an international school. So another story that my my dad used to tell is like, for as long as he can remember, I never even thought about settling down here. It was always like, I complete school. Okay, so you go to college. And it's a given that college is in the US. I don't mm. even think I considered Europe. It just, it just always seemed to be the track, you know? So when I did move over, um, and I was angsty teenager wanting to make that geographic move. You know, it was just, um, it was more emotional, but it also felt like just the logical conclusion of growing up. Like, I'm finally going to get the fuck out of here and I'm going to be in the States. Oh, yeah, that statement of getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> but <laughs> wait, so when you were 18 and going to the States, did you already sound like you're from California? <laughs> I don't know. Me? No. <laughs> I think a little bit. It depends on the crowd. Maybe you can relate to that like I do. Mm, yeah. It, it has been pointed out to me that, this is, I don't, don't know any other way to put this. It has been pointed out to me like right now, for example, I'm probably adopting more of my white voice like that. 
<laughs> your white voice. Like your white and, voice and your slave name. Like yeah, exactly. Friends will call. <laughs> friends will call up like at work and just to. There were a couple of friends who called me up in the office just so they could get a laugh. Like, why are you answering in that voice? <laughs> like, you're such an asshole. But I guess I, you know, it's just something that you you pick up. I guess I did. I guess I did kind of sound like this already back then. I was shocked. I, I, when we talked for the first time, I was sure you're like, you're from the States. Yeah. Imagine my disappointment disappointment in my in my head in my head I was and then yeah, finally and then finally after after several years I was I was where I was I sound like I belong that was awkward oh man wait how long did you spend there all in all uh 22 years oh dude you're I think you're American I think you might be one of the populations we're gonna insult insult today on the episode no I am a paid subscriber Believe me, I mean, as much as th- there's criticism, I was just talking about this, like, in in preparation for this um, conversation, right? I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about the US, but, you know, make no mistake, like, I am, I'm fully subscribed to being an American as, as an identity in a lot of ways, but also, mm. but also an Asian American, you know, also a foreigner who's living in the US, I am a citizen, right? So, yeah. Um. Actually, coming back here, it took it took a while. There was this idea of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm Filipino American, or I'm. We have a word here, um, balikbayan, which is like returning to the country. So that kind of yeah. identity, and so I, I struggled for the first few years trying to reclaim something like a Filipino identity, and then. Last year, it just kind of felt right to like fuck it. Now I'm an, like I'm an American of Filipino descent, and I'm living here again. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. It's like you move somewhere and you spend enough time there, and it has enough emotional kind of I don't know the word gravitas. Like it has yeah. enough. It, it has made enough impression on you that your identity is forever linked with that experience you know and is a part of you nurture right there was so much grooming like I can say that not intentionally but because of the school that I was put in there was very much a preparation for life in in the states and I think that we all see each other in a similar way and I wasn't prepared for like oh wait a minute you know I don't necessarily see color in the same way that you do Yeah. yeah 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 and also I mean speak of experiences you got sober there yeah you know so i'm imagining most of your years or like a lot of your uh how do you say it like well there's no nice way to say it like awful fucking time banging my head against the wall drinking was done there and then getting sober there so obviously you know it would be home i don't yeah. know like my sober experiences that i've had in different places definitely made a big impact on me because it's where i develop my higher power and and where I kind of found this thing right yeah so that's interesting to me how did how did the U.S. look to you when you were growing up abroad like what was your conception idea of it I love that you're saying go growing up abroad and we're both not there right now I know abroad right that's so funny like even a broad foreigner I'm like relative to what <laughs> relative to what exactly and that's the McDonald's thing you're talking about which is such a great thing but I think that for me 
And again, that's very important to say before I start shitting on it or making my funny, trying to be funny observations about it. The USA was a dream. It was mm-hmm. the dream. It was the biggest dream ever. Um, and I think when you're not from there, it symbolizes this idea of freedom and opportunities and yeah. privilege, especially if you're from a country um, that has experienced, you know, different types of difficulties, whatever. And I think it's in our collective psyche as quote unquote foreigners, mm-hmm. you know, that the U.S. is freedom. And even when I went there and even when I saw it was deeply flawed, you know, I was mm-hmm. never disillusioned from the idea that this is something I need to aspire to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, I love it. I truly do. Um, um, and I think that part of the reason I made fun of it or am making fun of it or I'm shitting on it. Um, and I realized that when I was there, my first month there, because I made a lot of jokes and I don't know if um, you've noticed, Pirate Mike, I use jokes as a defense mechanism. Um, <laughs> We're family that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like subconsciously, um, I thought that if I like saw the things that were wrong with it, so like when I leave or if I can't succeed there or make a life for myself there, like I'll know that it wasn't perfect uh, as I made it out to be or this ideal that I hold about it. Um, and I still do. I still have big U.S. ambitions, uh, mm. you know, even though it's again, like not, not to get into the healthcare and shit. And <laughs> I'm like, ah, there, there's a lot of stuff there, you know, um, <clears throat> but yeah, my experience getting there was one of the um most wild experiences I've had in my life was getting to the US I think for sure (laughs) right because it wasn't that wasn't like your first destination right no that's the thing I did I traveled for two years and Mm. I just wanted to go and I was I was bitching about not going because I needed a visa And, and now by the way just to put it out there I did this whole thing of going to Israel getting a visa three months after i got my visa they took away the thing that you need the visa oh oh you can just go all right basically wow that was three months after i got my fucking visa i paid the u.s embassy i put the u.s embassy on my resentment list on my four step anyway no that process is (laughs) i mean I, i get it that process is so fucked like i remember because, you know, it, it took a while for me to get the citizenship, right? And so there was there were years when I was in the U.S. and and checking on a website to see when my green card um, processing date was going mm. to be um, next, right? Like, so they did it by months and years. And I remember it was like the year 2000. And I look back on it and it's like, okay, for the Philippines, we're processing applications from 1991, and I was like, mother, that's the, yeah. Wow. And even then. I mean, fuck. And even then, when you get in front of the, I really want your experience. It'll just like a quick story. Um, When you get in front of the person oh, who's going to give you the stamp for the, the green card, um, mm-hmm. that was a moment of like the powerlessness of that, because I sound like this, right? And I'm already working there. And yet, um. There was something that was wrong. I forgot. It was someone who was just doing their job, following procedure. And the way that I was in the in the country already, even with a pending green card application, um, I won't get into that, but it was unconventional. 
And so this person doing their job mm -hmm. didn't really know how to line that up with their process. And so they were like, no, I think you have to go back to the back of the line. And to see somebody actually yeah. stamp what, what amounts to like rejected oh my from God. across the table was fucked. Oy vey. You know, and so when you talk about, I, you know, you get it, right? This is the dream. And then it all comes down to somebody with like a stamp. Yeah, I do. I remember, I mean, again, this is very different things. I am not close to any green card territory. By the way, if anyone of the listeners want to, I don't know, hook me up with a green card. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to, anyway. The, mar the marriage proposals are going to start now. <laughs> they're just going to flow in. No, I. Um, this is funny, but also also like rooted in like true events <laughs> that I'm not going to get into in this podcast. <laughs> but part two, part I get two. it. Part two. <clears throat> oh man. Part two. Next episode is going to be called Relationships with Americans. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. Wait. So, wait. So, wait. Visa. So, now you get. So, we'll go back. I'm so tempted to just launch into it. No, you can't. Oh my God. Um, no, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I just remember being in the line for the visa in the embassy in Tel Aviv. And mind you, again, by that time, I was. Um, I had a lot uh, building on, on being able to go into the United States. Um, and I was just, I, sh I was shaking. I was shaking. Um, I actually tried to like dumb myself down. So I wouldn't sound so, you know, coherent in English. So I did like an Israeli accent. Really? So they wouldn't. Yeah. Cause it was a tourist visa. Right. Um, so yeah, there we go. There yep, we go. Yep, He's yep. pointing. Yeah, yeah. Um I no no I was I was you know I was truthful and all that but it was um it was very scary and once I got that I was like oh my god thank god and I just I took my I remember the day I took my passport from the uh, embassy in Tel Aviv I was sitting at this restaurant I'm like I'm booking my flight right now like mm -hmm. and the, that flight was actually to to Costa Rica but it was just okay I did what I needed to do here I'm I'm getting the fuck out um so yeah I yeah but I remember, so for me, kind of like the backstory of the U.S. thing, not to get into it too much, because uh, there's other people involved. But um, again, lifelong dream. I've been traveling for two years at that point. Um, and I booked my flight. And again, for me, going to the U.S. was like the thing. I have family history there. Um, my mom used to live there, especially New York. Um New York was the place that, you know, I had a picture of New York above my bed when I was a kid, oh, yeah. like the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're feeling it? <laughs> I, I have had a lifelong crush on New York City. Oh, man. First, like, yeah. I know. It's something. And especially, you know, I had this history there and I had all these like media being bombarded at me about this thing. So... Right before I went, I was really anxious. I spent two months in Mexico. I was really, really anxious. I called my friend, um, my best friend, and I was like, I don't know. Like, I have this visa, but what if they won't let me in? Like, what am I going to do if they're not going to let me in? And then he told me, like, well, you're not Moses. <laughs> I, I might need it's some really explanation. Not... What would Moses oh, oh, have been I able think... to do? 
No, M- Moses Moses famously had a US visa, but um <laughs> <laughs> the point cuz Moses like died basically not going into the promised oh, land. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay, they didn't yes. let him in. Yes. So he was like, you're not Moses. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Please that made me night. laugh. Please stamp denied on his application to go in. <laughs> no, guy was like, you're not going in. Um and that's because Moses didn't do an Israeli accent when he tried to go into the I mean, promised land. Right? <laughs> Play the game. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah don't hate the player at the game <laughs> oh god this is going great no I was just super nervous and I went in they didn't even look at my fucking visa <clears throat> like I was so stressed it was again and I came in after like two months in Mexico so completely different vibe mm. I land in the Atlanta airport after taking a few flight from like uh, Mexico Atlanta was your um, port of entry. Okay. Your entry yeah. point. <laughs> and so I go in. Um, they don't look at my passport. I see a huge American flag thing. I'm like, take my yes. picture. Yes. They take my picture and then someone's screaming at me, there's no pictures here. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go in. <laughs> Please let me in. Went inside. I go through TSA. Uh, I've never... Okay, Mike, do you... TSA, what what is what is going on with that? That thing is so wild. TSA. Tell me. Okay, I'm interested because for me it's kind of a given. I'm like, okay, yeah, so they, yeah. So why was it wild? I think <laughs> I think it was wild because first of all, <clears throat> I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. Like going to Israel would probably be like a lot of questions. Um, oh, okay. But and like they have that in Israel, but in TSA it was just like they were like angry with me for like oh, being yeah. there. Yeah. And then it was like huge men and they were screaming, no water, no soda, no juice as I was putting my bag in the thing. And then uh the person I was with at the time, he leaned in and he whispered in this line. Uh, that everyone was dead quiet on except the TSI guy screaming no water, no soda, no juice and I burst out laughing it was such a good joke that's so amazing it was such a weird thing so I went there and I've got people like hyping up Chipotle for me at that Mm. point people were like you have to try fucking Chipotle and I'm like guys I'm a foodie, I'm from Israel I spent time in Italy like don't overhype this American fucking thing I had Chipotle at the Atlanta airport. Like I had my first chicken burrito, right? In the span of the few months I spent in the United States, I reckon I had about 74 chicken burritos. Chicken burritos. <laughs> <laughs> they put crack in that thing. I don't know. If it's good, yeah. it's good. I, yeah, it's... I have friends who are like, what, if you really want Mexican food, then you should go to, you know what? If it's good, it's good. What am I going to say? And again, I spent two months in Mexico. I had the Mexican food. Like, I came very Mexican food. Like, I was done. <laughs> I don't think Chipotle is really Mexican food, right? But um, offended, I don't know. I dream about Mexican it at night. Mexican starting now. <laughs> <laughs> Just typing on there. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> what are you, Chipotle is Mexican food, damn it. Fuck whatever else you have to say about the <laughs> U.S., but Chipotle, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> No, 
get started dude no i have all the love in the world for chipotle honestly like i have people that are my friends that every time they're next to chipotle they like send me a picture at this point it's like a running joke i'm like okay i guess this is what i'm gonna be known this is my legacy i had chipotle. too much chipotle in the states <laughs> dude that chicken burrito is fire it's good how get okay, in the so... comments Let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about let's talk about the portions. Were they were those shocking for you at all? Oh my god, yeah. I remember I don't know what it's like for you. Um, I'm an elitist. I'm from the Middle East, so I think we have the best the best everything, you know. Mm, okay. Um, and I remember getting there and first of all, again, the backstory is I landed in Tennessee. I landed, my first U.S. destination was rural Appalachia. Um, nice. Yeah, I have a lot to say <laughs> about the South. Uh, and a lot of love, too. Uh, but who's got time for that, right? Well, it's a three-parter now. <laughs> yeah, it's a three-parter. I remember I walked into a Walmart, which is how, how all good stories start, right? Mm -hmm. I walk into a Walmart, and I need to get, like, tomato sauce, right? And I'm looking at the aisle, and I think it was the first time I was close to having, like, uh, an anxiety attack in sobriety. Because there were, like, a hundred different kinds of tomato sauce. And I oh, just, yeah. I stood there and I froze, like, literally froze. I'm like, what is this? Like, the and the portions of the food, as you mentioned, right? Like, huge. I'm like, I felt so unhealthy there. I had to, like, make a conscious effort to get on a bicycle. And then I was on this bicycle and I'm like, I, I don't want to be on a bicycle. Like, this isn't Italy. Like, mm. it's not the little teeny tiny cars. If this <laughs> fucking car, if this semi-trailer hits me, I'm fucking gone. <laughs> it's not the little teeny tiny cars. <laughs> no, like, God. The huge car. I mean, everything was bigger and better and capitalism on steroids. And it was kind of disconcerting. Right uh at the beginning honestly it was too much for the system and again i spent two years traveling yeah. all over the world um and yeah i've never felt as foreign as i did uh in the united states but that's a whole other thing to get into so that's yeah were the portions too big for you <laughs> i mean it was it was a you know it was something that I, so the first scolding that i got from my parents like when we were in the u.s had to do with the portions because we were in the la airport and i was thirsty and they gave me some money to buy a drink and like i'm not i, I don't know what it's oh, like man. now so at the time i'm like eight years old our large size drink here in the philippines is like the small in the u.s so i was like yeah yeah yeah, a, yeah same right so i'm like i'll just get a large i'll get a large coke please and they hand me this like fucking thing that can you know a satisfy the, a bucket right that can satisfy a small family and so i'm bringing it back <laughs> and i think it was like 10 minutes to boarding and my dad's just like upset right he's like why did you order something so big you only have a few minutes before you have to board the plane you better drink all of it and so I'm like, oh, oh my god <laughs> yeah oh no but it's did a, you i don't remember i remember more the fear i probably <laughs> I probably didn't. And then there was just, I had to deal with the disappointment for the rest of the flight, right? The I remember the fear. Like, oh, oh my God. But you know but what? I built up it. tolerance to it. Over That's time, That's the I thing did. is that, yeah. yeah. Like in that college. was the experience. Yeah. In, of course, in college. In college. And it was, you know, through 
it was college, but also through like eating at um in Boston we had uh like Bennigan's Chili's and TGI Fridays, which are already like fairly large portions even for the US, I think. Yeah. So it took me maybe it took me maybe like three quarters of a of a year to finally finish an entree. Before that, I'm just throwing money away because it's Oh my god. I mean I used to save the food. And then I remember I'm comparing again, going back to the Chipotle, but at the beginning I had (laughs) I had a chicken burrito and I had to like eat some of it and then save some for later. At the end of my US time, I'm like, I'm with the chicken burrito, I'm with the queso and the nachos and the guac. I'm like, I gained a lot of weight going to the US and and I remember even going to the grocery store and seeing like the fruits and the vegetables. And I'm like, something's wrong with these fruits and vegetables. Something's wrong. Like they they're way too perfect. They're way too big. They look way too shiny. Like the, a banana shouldn't look this perfect. Okay. Like yeah. um, it was suspicious produce. I wish I could go back to that. Cause I don't know, like if I were to enter the U S now, <clears throat> cause you mentioned it, I mean, it's, I, we won't get into the socioeconomics of it, but it probably, it feels like the vibe is, is different than it was when I first, mm-hmm. like when I first came in, if you want, if you asked me to draw, like the US metaphorically, I would probably draw something that looked like the flexed bicep of a 1980s action hero with a tattoo of an American flag and an eagle like on top of it. You know what I mean? Like that's how it felt. Yeah. When you say like bigger and badder, that's <laughs> that's how it felt. Yeah, <laughs> it did. And and I think for me, again, you you had a be you had like your experience mostly like in California, right? Mostly California, except for, you know, the four years um, when I was attending uni in Boston. In Boston. But these are like big, I think that's the thing. I felt a big difference between the big cities and like other parts of the U.S. So you had the big cities, you had this like cultural, like just so much diversity. And I felt that in New York, I felt that in uh, New Orleans, which is a total fucking vibe, dude. (laughs) like in New Orleans um Jane from the podcast she told me like that she I think she said something about like how it feels like almost haunted and I totally oh, agree so with cool. that vibe it's like such a cool fucking vibe the oh, New Orleans like yeah. Asian whatever yeah New Orleans episode dropping never uh <laughs> I'll just live vicariously through the episode I'll be like I've always dreamed of it no, but I've never been to California. That's the thing. But I think that the difference is, again, like the different parts. So when I landed in, in Tennessee, yeah, um, it was, first of all, it felt like the Stephen King universe universe because everyone was so nice. I was like, too nice? I'm like, oh. are you, is this like, why are you so nice? Why is the service so good? I'm from the Middle East. Like you like, you eat your food and you get the fuck out. You know, like there, they're like, "Oh, ma'am, like let me get, let me get you oh, some of that." Like, there's none there's of that. Some... There's none of that. Oh no, no, <laughs> heck no, no customer service. It doesn't exist. You're like, eat your hummus and get the fuck out. You're you're taking space, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I felt very foreign there, but I think everyone was really nice in the in the south, and there is that kind of southern hospitality Hospitality. thing Mm -hmm. um and again i have so many fond memories of it 
looking back and Mm -hmm. so many wonderful things I experienced there. But again, for the context of entertainment, um, (laughs) I'm going to shoot all over it now. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) No, this is actually, this is actually a really interesting conversation, but, um, what I noticed about it is that it was really xenophobic immediately. Um, South or uh, like the U.S.? Ah, uh, good question. We start with know. the South. We start with the Let South. Let me start with the South because because by the time I made it to other parts of the U.S., I was already kind of used to it. Um, just my experience was, and again, strictly speaking about my experience, it was really xenophobic, and people picked up on my accent really quickly. Okay. Which, you know, I like to think I sound American. I know I don't. And they asked me where I'm from, but they never asked it in like, like they're actually interested. You know what I mean? I was like that, like, like in a bad off, way. Like, oh, where are you from? Like, like that? Like no, kinda, more oh, in no. a way of like, where are you from and what are you doing here? Kind of thing. Oh, that, that was dark. the tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was the tone. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's a very, um, we can talk about that. That's a very different experience than what I get. I mean, I'll, I'll contrast it with, so you'll get that, right? And I remember another story where um, um, when my dad visited me once, he met um, the grandmother of my ex-wife when we were still married or about to. Mm-hmm. And um, the first thing, that she told it's like oh so you're you're asian and you're you're visiting the u.s that's cool so that means that you're good at math and you're a bad driver just right like you know not even yeah seeing it in like the sweetest way but i think and it makes me laugh honestly it didn't really like offend me too much because she's a she's a sweet old lady but you'll get that i can see how you because of your accent and your descent you know like You'll get more of that kind of. And my experience has been like people who look like me aren't really perceived as a threat. Oh, God. You know, I mean, it's even kind of like a runaway joke. I remember this one time in uh, New Jersey, I was with my my nephew um, who's about my age, different story, different episode. And uh, we were coming out of a, we were coming out of a, a movie theater, right? And then there were a couple of like townies that were just joking around and the way they were teasing us was like, Oh, you guys know Kung Fu. Like, let's see your Kung Fu. And it's almost like, bitch, if I really knew Kung Fu, like this would be no laughing matter. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. That's I'm sorry about that. Like whenever I hear people share about those experiences, I'm like, ah, I feel that. And yet again, our, you know, both of our experiences are like vastly different. And yet like, I'm happy that at least we can talk about like the similarities or, you know, try to find the empathy there. Um, I just remember I, it was really weird because it felt like a movie. Everything looked like a movie because America, all the movies are based there. So I'm like, I feel like I'm in a movie. Mm-hmm. And there's all these flags and people and they're treating me weird. And it was in Tennessee which again, I have so much love for that state, you know, like I feel bad because I feel like we need to do like a rebuttal episode of me just telling all the wonderful things and like support I've gotten there. Um, But I saw the 
two very distinct types of anti-Semitism, as I can def- define them. Okay. Um, which again, it's weird to feel foreign after you've been in Brazil and you've been in jungles and you've been in places where you don't speak the language. And both of those experiences happened in a meeting, in an AA meeting. The two different so, types of anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah, and that was really interesting to me because I think it added also to my like final kind of place where I'm at today where I'm I'm disillusioned with a meeting as a thing that gives gives me this great comfort or whatever mm. but again i was in tennessee not gonna say where <laughs> and so the first experience i can attest to um i i was at a meeting <clears throat> rural tennessee had a friend take me and i was sharing i was like the first share i don't remember what the fuck i was sharing about at this point and all the other shares started being about the Israelites and how special they were and about Jesus and the book of Revelation and all those stuff. And then I realized that evangelical Christians view me and I started noticing it more as this like mythical unicorn. And <laughs> they're <laughs> like, they were too nice to me. Like I wasn't a person. Um, You're a symbol. Yeah. 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 Like I was this thing and that was, that is unpleasant. You know, that is not something I think that I can really explain because it's not like blatant, you know, racism. Um, But having, having that and having people treat you like you're this, yeah, as you said, like you're this symbol, like you're this something, like you're not the person that you are. Um. That was really, um, that wasn't a, a nice experience, obviously, sitting in that meeting, having people <laughs> share about the Israelites. I'm like, okay. No, and that's it's not, like, I mean, clearly that topic was raised because you were there, right? It's not like for, for anyone oh, who's no, that uh, the, isn't in an AA meeting, it's not like you walk in and it's like, let's talk about Israel. <laughs> yeah, no, the the book was, the, the meeting was not about the book of Revelation, I can assure you that, but it seemed like everywhere I went, um, it, it it became a topic because of that. I know evangelicals have their own beliefs about like Jewish people and the coming of the Messiah and whatever, but I am, um, uh, can we, I'm in an AA meeting? Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I'm not this like thing that came to like symbolize anything for you guys. So that was the first thing uh, that made me feel uh, uncomfortable. And then the utter opposite of that happened was that, was that I walked into a meeting um and I was just I remember the feeling like that's I remember I like I can feel it in my heart now talking about it like my heart was like thudding out of my chest I saw a neo-nazi like a skinhead sitting in the meeting yeah and for me that was the first time seeing someone with a huge swastika tattoo I've never experienced it I've never seen it I've seen movies I've never seen a swastika like yeah not in like a museum or whatever and I was just sitting there and I was like, I, and I really wanted to go home. I didn't want to be there. I felt really uncomfortable. I felt unsafe. And I stayed because I thought it was the right thing to do because it's a meeting and it's for my recovery. And you, you made yourself known, like you identified or in that meeting or no, is it like, no, I didn't speak. Okay. Um, uh, 
even though people already knew who I was at the time, but I, I didn't know that guy, obviously. And I had the speaker kind of like point to me and say something about Tel Aviv. And I just, I, I felt like I was going to start crying. <laughs> I did. I, I, once I saw that guy, I went out, I cried. I started crying. I was like really hyperventilating. I felt, I can't explain the experience because I can't compare it to this person's experience with race or that person's experience with race, you know, but for me, like I'm a, a, a third generation of, you know, uh, Holocaust victims. Like I, it wasn't a f- pleasurable experience for me to see someone in this space that I thought was safe. But again, that's part of the disillusionment of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I ended up praying for him. Yeah. And that is very interesting because it's, it's, um, you are because of your experience i think of like where you're from your heritage your 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 family experience it's too to me they feel like two different um receptions that you might get in the states right there's like i'm jewish from israel and then you mentioned like the positive parts of it but then like in a previous episode you know you also touched on the fact that you you are also middle eastern Right. Which as a blanket statement, hi, I'm from the Middle East. Like that could be a completely different reception in the States. And then, I mean, you know, you, you joked about not having a great grandmother <laughs> and that's, um, yeah. those are like just different energies. I can't even, I don't have the words, but you get what I'm saying. I do. I think I do. Um, I mean, the Middle East thing is, again, I think it goes back to what we mentioned a little bit in the last episode, which is the uh, U.S. concept of black and white. Mm. Um, I think that identity is is much more complex than that, or at least it was when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, like I have friends who, you know, live in the West Bank, but they're Israelis, but they're Arabs, right. but they're Christians. Um, um, but not to get into the geopolitics of Israel, Jesus Christ, that would be, that would be a disaster. Um, but the point is, is that, I mean, I was born there. My mom was born there. I speak this, you know, language, uh, mm-hmm. that I understood really quickly, you know, when I was raised with the notion of you shouldn't speak Hebrew outside of Israel. Oh. Um, yeah. Like you should always speak in English, even though I remember I mentioned English. to, um, yeah, always speak English outside of Israel. Never, never speak your language. Uh, so you wouldn't be, you know, targeted in any way, but just something I grew up with but I remember talking to my sponsor on the phone and and we spoke in English she's she's American and I told her you know it's a a funny thing like I I really I don't feel comfortable speaking Hebrew because I'm supposed to be my therapist on zoom and I'm in the Starbucks and she was like "Uh, they'll think it's Spanish (laughs) do people think it's Spanish sometimes I think so really because you actually Uh, I mean you haven't spoken in Spanish on the podcast yet like so how many languages do you speak without lying to you with being totally honest sure the the, the languages i can like say i speak with like a, a full heart mm. is three which is okay. not a lot my dad speaks like 10 uh which kudos to him um and also i think it's like that thing of like in europe for example my mm. friends who are european they speak five or six languages that's like their status quo you know but I, I speak Hebrew, English, and Spanish. Okay. Uh, I can get by or like understand some other languages. Um, 
but also what defines speaking a language? I'm I'm always baffled by that, you know. <laughs> what would like, you define as speaking a language? It's it has to do with the under like the comprehension, right? And also just the okay. um being able to converse for me, right? More than the um literacy in terms of like actually being able to read the thing but you know if you can communicate with somebody verbally in that in that yeah. language and be understood and understand like then I think that's that's what I that's what I personally count and that's um it's that that is an idea that has been fascinating to me because you you say it so casually right like oh you know my friends in Europe multiple languages um it's not something Again, because of the way that I grew up, like the, there was so much focus on English, specifically American English, right? That I I can't even really say that. So I'm not fluent in Tagalog, right? I'm really barely conversational. I understand more than I actually speak. Yeah, and that, that, this is I'm a function of the this is a function of the bubble. That You're I like a byproduct in. of this like thing. Yeah, that is. We have, I mean, I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing, but it's a really interesting observation. It's interesting that so recently somebody introduced this term to me um, about being like a third culture kid. And a lot of us who grew up in these international schools kind of identify with that because you're not you're not really one or other. Right. So I grew up in a Filipino <laughs> family, like in the Philippines, but I went to the school that was very Americanized, but I can't say that i identify 100 with either of those cultures it's almost like this third thing that's an amalgamation of of all of it um but still very i think very u.s centric at least for me in terms of the, the way that i look at it you know you brought up like the the thing about how race and color is perceived over there and i can relate to it and it's also been confusing for me um my my dad and my uncle grew up in world war ii like that happened as they were growing up. And when they told me stories, there was a little bit of that confusion. Like, um, I think the first time that my dad went to the States, it was in the South. And um, he went there for training as an engineer and segregation was still very much alive, right? I told you about that. And so I forget like the punchline of the story, but he just re he just related to me how confusing it was for him. Like, so which, which fountain do I drink from? Which cafe do I sit in? Because they were like across the street from each other. And, and, and I think yeah. his story was more like he was welcomed into like the white cafe or whatever they call it. They they actually had mm -hmm. like terms for it. And um and that was okay. So he was given a pass, but he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure where Asian face kind of fell in. And then my uncle, who was a merchant marine, um, he had this experience where um so we had another uncle who was killed by a Japanese sniper, he was a gorilla. And in his grief and his rage, you know, they're walking down. I think they were in New Orleans. And um, so he's walking with some other American um, GI friends and they come across this Japanese American. And I think he stabbed the guy. That's the story that I remember. They got into a fight and he stabbed the guy. And when I think about that, like. It's confusing. Like, here's a guy who you're on you're on opposite sides of a war. You know, you're processing grief, but then you're also from the same part of the world. And your buddies are probably not seeing you as being too different from this other guy. And yet there's so much rage that you feel. It's so confusing. I mean, that is such a complex and layered experience 
the experience of being Asian in the United States because of that, you know, and fitting into and fitting into like the idea of how it's seen there and your identity. Yeah, you know, your identity is is an American. I just I can't. Yeah, no, I can't imagine it. I cannot imagine it. It's uh, because again, I think that the. I I think my experience with the race is just very different. You know, it's just very. It I don't know. Different, but then the the lens is almost it's the same. It yeah. feels to me like it's the same glasses that they're being viewed through, right? Because it's so defined. Like you're coming from. I think we both come from areas of the world where there's more fluidity. Yeah. In like 100%. people and where they're from or how they identify, and um, there's this dream place which is supposed to be like, you know, its own kind of Mecca for freedom and whatever else that it symbolizes. And yet the categories that they tend to like lump people into are so defined. I mean, that's the U.S., right? (laughs) That's the U.S. I mean, it is, it is, it is. But I love it so much. I mean, you know. I do. I get it. It's such a... It's such a weird thing. Again, going back to like, I i wasn't disillusioned from it after I saw all the problems there. And um, I think it goes back to like what it can be. And like you said it, like, um, I think like I, I heard you say it in the last episode of like, oh, at least I'm in America. Yeah. You know, at least I'm in yeah. America. <laughs> like certain freedoms, you know, um, are given. And I think that was like, kind of like the ethos that maybe Fornish here and you know that no matter where you're from you know you can you can make it big in America you know you can do this thing you can there's no limitations to what you can achieve I mean I, I I've said this before and I mean it, it, the spirit of it is still true like I used to say in earlier in early sobriety that um if I were to bottom out again I would prefer that it's in the States as opposed to the Philippines because my experience of those two countries is um, the hole that I could fall into in in, like my native country, my native part of the world is so much deeper Mm. and darker than (sighs) what I know I would fall into in the States, right? Like, um, and it is, it's, I'm not taking away from anyone's suffering or experience, right? But just from like the, the horror of it like yeah parts of la like skid row have like nothing on <laughs> what you see in other parts of the world oh for sure for sure and yet like i don't know i remember vividly being like oh that's america's drug epidemic <laughs> like that's <laughs> what it looks like that's okay looks the like. fourth guy to fucking collapse on a new orleans streetcar I'm like okay that's that's what the, this is the war on drugs it's happening this is the war on drugs whatever dude no i saw i remember feeling so like i was in philadelphia and i'm like i'm not going outside of this airbnb right now like i'm just gonna stay inside i'm in the south of philadelphia i'm gonna have a like some food ordered in and i'm not safety engage with the city right now oh yeah I'm like, oh, like, look at all these needles on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) How beautiful. Like, it's part of the landscape. No. um, 
it was weird. Um, yeah, Let's America's see. Drag War. But yet, strangely safe, I can say. Because I can picture I've been to places that look like that, like in the States, right? But I, I mm -hmm. never... You know what? I'm more fearful in some parts here. Some parts of the cities no, here. No, I get like, that. Yeah. I get that. Like, no, I mean, no one's going to shoot a missile at me. <laughs> in Philly, in like South Philly. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, missile to little handgun, I think the missile takes... Yeah. Takes, takes the cake is that a thing takes the cake it is it is it's a different <laughs> it's a different threat i'm not gonna i'm not gonna touch i forget it i'll roll that back for another episode there's some other threats Black, there. Mike, okay no there's some other <laughs> threats there that like we don't have here as much um but yeah on what a like obesity scale. and stuff I was gonna go say in like so I had I had school safety concerns like for a while. Do you know what I mean? Like for my kids. Because yeah. we don't have the same kind of school safety concerns here. Like I haven't had to worry about like unstable kids like in the Philippines, but it seems to be something that um has been a part of like the US experience as a fear. Um oh, yeah. so that's a that's a difference. But yeah, no like weapons of mass destruction or shit like that. Oh, we're getting into it. Okay, fuck it. You know what? Fuck it. I have a lot to say about it. Um, I'm getting into it. So that I was in I was in Tennessee, and um, I went to this like um, I think it was like this traveling store. You know where you get like the boots and the backpacks and yeah. like the yeah. Nalgene or whatever. Did you see my Nalgene? By the way, it's a status symbol. I went all the way no. to go to the U.S. to get a Nalgene. It's Very nice. Good. It's purple. Flex whatever Flex. so i go into the store did you do it and... did you have it at the sistine chapel <laughs> no no i did not have the analogy in the sistine if i were to have analogy by the time i was in the sistine chapel i wouldn't have needed to go to the sistine chapel <laughs> Mike, <are> you okay? <laughs> your your flexes just kill me as well i have i have like um yeah like undercurrent flexes that i just don't address i guess We'll talk All about right. the Sistine Chapel in another episode. Yeah, anyway, yeah, it's a fucking painting. It's fine. Who cares? So the guns. <laughs> I so walk the guns. into the store in Tennessee. And the person I'm with is like, okay, I, do you want to see what it looks like? Like the guns. I walk in and I see these, um, you know, war guns, you mm. know, AK-47s, machine guns you know a fucking you know in, in in colors and they're all displayed like like their clothes and i remember going out and i and i spoke to 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 that person about it and he was trying to explain to me oh you know it, it's a cultural thing and i'm like yeah yeah like i'm i come from a country where like i know what war is you know right. um guns are not toys and i saw it and i'm like clearly Clearly, this is um, weapons of war are not things to play with. Right. Um, again, I did not grow up with that. If I would have grown up in different circumstances, I wouldn't have felt like that. Yeah. But um, I think it, it lacks uh, respect for um, for what war is. Sorry. No, no, you're right on. <laughs> No, 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 and that's it's that's important because they it um it's an important mm -hmm. idea in terms of like the experience because 
we go to this really grand place, right? And I'm sure these guys, a lot of them don't think, maybe some of them think they're toys, but some of them are taking it seriously, but they don't quite see. And I love the way that you phrase it. They don't quite see how they're still kind of toying with it. I don't know, dude. I'm just like, I just remember seeing it and being like, okay, I I got it. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that took a dark turn. Again, like this is at the end of the day, this is our experiences as of today because they might change. Hmm. Um. Did you have any like interesting meeting experiences that you could attest to? In the U.S., any neo-Nazis that you saw, Pirate Mike? <laughs> so I did not surprise. The one you made me think about the one experience that I had with a neo-Nazi or Nazi was uh, before I even got sober. I was just, you know, God and my angels sometimes like I I don't understand like how it, it's been a charmed life. So I remember being in this dive bar, <laughs> okay, a dive, a dive bar in Hollywood, and um. With a, you as know, you a do friends as you do and uh and a couple of nazis walked in or people who identified they were skinheads they were wearing their little jackets i saw their little right. swastikas and and i don't even know if this is true but i my understanding was that even people who look like me are not exactly welcome and so i'm like watch these guys and i'm gonna hit up these fuckers for a cigarette and so like you know i just walked up to them tried to be obnoxious but not too obnoxious and then, like, asked them for a cigarette, asked one of them to light it for me. Just basically, like, tried to see if they were uncomfortable with me being that close to them. You know, mm-hmm. like, how much could I do that before they hit me in the face? And they didn't hit me in the face. Oh, God. But that was just the, that was like, that was just like the stupid drunken bravado, right? Is that a drunk story? It's a drunk story. <laughs> My there, There's a lot of drunk stories where, like... <laughs> I'll I'll walk up and like laugh at danger, but also with like a safety harness on, so I wasn't fully I committed. Like, Pirate Mike, it's very hard for me to imagine you be obnoxious to anyone. Pirate Mike is the cutest, like kindest human being in the world. So, but I mean, you're allowed to be obnoxious at Nazi. Who I mean, gives a fuck? Yeah. If you're a Nazi, Pirate Mike is going to be obnoxious at you. Just yeah. FYI. Just FYI. <laughs> Just FYI. Yeah, I mean, that experience at a meeting was really interesting. I have been to some cool meetings. I will say that. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going out. I'm slowly backing away from shitting on it, hopefully to a territory where I can attest that AA in the U.S. is great. When, if you talk about meetings, you know, there's so much AA there. There's the fucking app. The Do you know the fucking app, Hard Mike? There's so many apps. You mean the Meeting Finder one or... Yeah, the Meeting Finder app, and you go, and it's clubhouses, and it's like, I don't know, I haven't been to Akron, whatever, I'm not, I don't think I will be in my lifetime, but I've been to other places, but it's, I remember going to this, like, really cool meetings, and a big book study workshop that I really liked, and some weird-ass clubhouses, Um, but I have this experience that I have to mention, because it's been fucking with me the whole week, and I need to enlist the help of anyone who might know what the fuck I'm talking about. So I walk into this clubhouse in Washington. Not going to go further into the details of that clubhouse. 
but I walk in and I mentioned this to our friend fucking sober this week because I was like, it just dawned on me this memory that I couldn't shake. You walk into the clubhouse and it's kind of this cool, hip, famous-ish, I don't know if I can define clubhouses as famous, fuck this, like clubhouse. And there's a TV at the entrance and it's fucking playing fucking sober memes on a loop. Wait, really? <laughs> no, I, I am dead serious right now. I, for the past week, I've been gaslighting myself into thinking I'm making it up. I remember it clear as day. I have tried to reach out to people in the DC area to let me know if it's some, in some point in time, this was a true thing. It's some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen in meetings. <laughs> and I'm not fucking sure what the fuck happened there. Ay, vey. Well, did you go into a blackout after you saw the sober memes like playing on a loop? Now you're like, what happened afterwards? It was just a suppressed memory and it came up and I have no idea. The more I think about it, I'm like, I never took a picture. What if you imagined it? I'm like, no, you didn't. I vividly remember having conversations about this. Anyway, if that. anyone remembers a fucking sober meme playing on TV, hit me up. Such a weird thing to have. Someone's going to take like a photo or a video and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's my clubhouse and then send it to us. <laughs> I really don't think that if, if it did exist in a point in time, if someone in some fucked up group conscious thought it was hip and cool and did this thing and it did exist in a point in time, I can assure you it does not exist anymore. It takes one grumpy old timer to be like, well, let me just point you to this tradition. You, are you, what are you doing with your, with your, because the grumpy old timer has glasses that they push up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pushing glasses. I'm doing the pushing glasses movement on Zoom. No, I've had this experience in the US too. Um, Mike, did you get to go to the, New York uh, World Services. I did not know. I, I do have a New York story though, but I can I can share it. Oh, after please yours. do! No, no, no! I want to yeah. hear your story. Because that was actually you did a you're very gentle, like backing away from the the darker turn. That <laughs> the we took. guns. <laughs> I was I was fully prepared to be just like, well, enough about Nazis. So what was it like when the Jewish unicorn went to New York? <laughs> <laughs> no, my... Oh, that's such a great segue. Do you want to say it again, segue. and I'll edit it in. Yeah, yeah. So enough about Nazis. What happened when the Jewish unicorn went to New York? No, it's a. It's you know, a, I'm gonna keep it in like that. You it's, just it's, know. It's beautiful. Um, it's one of my actually most my my favorite early AA memories. Um, it was in my first year. We were in New York City for a business trip. My first time back in New York sober. I've taken short trips to the city over the years and. I think that's why I sustained this like crush on it. But um, I was feeling, what's the fucking phrase? I was, um, I was feeling antsy or whatever the fuck that is. Like squirrely. I was feeling squirrely. Ooh, squirrely. Uh, okay. And I was like, where's a meeting? So I used the, I used the app to find where the meeting was. Um, and uh, I ended up at this like little clubhouse off of Broadway um, you had to take stairs to go up to this like small room on the second floor that I, this is just my memory. Uh, maybe it doesn't even exist. And then when I, when I opened the door, there were a few people huddled around this table 
with a tape recorder in the middle of it and they were listening to the Joe and Charlie tapes. And uh, Oh my god, yes, and, yes, and, of course. And the crowd was like, you know, there was this like older lady who um was also like a a Broadway actress, like a theater actress and some writers. It was that crowd because that's that's where I was and uh I sat down. Um I listened to the recording, listened to the share. To the sermon, you mean? The sermon. Um, <laughs> the, the don't talk Charlie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I listened to the help. tape. Um, I listened to the tape and the shares of these like characters. And then there was like a, a window, right? And then I remember like, and it started to snow. And I was just like, for this little boy from the Philippines. Oh, man. This is like, this is almost as movie as it gets. You know what I mean? Like, lady who came out of like who looks like she's like an extra from sunset boulevard like the <laughs> um you know the the writer just the little room and the snow outside and i'm right off of like i'm so close to times square it was perfect it was so fucking the, perfect the backdrop of the soothing voice of joe and charlie, joe and charlie. yeah 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 <laughs> Well, I'd never heard. That was my that was my introduction to Joe. Oh, and Charlie. that was your Joe and Charlie introduction. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Unpaid ad for Joe and Charlie. Joe and Charlie sermons. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't ask you anymore about that. <laughs> it's, it's so perfect, though. No, it's such a nice, it's such a cute memory. And New York is such a mystical thing. I remember, I I went. Okay, so. This is my getting to New York story, and it's hella embarrassing, obviously. So I went, this was already two years traveling, already did the U.S. New York was the final stop, right? Mm. Um, I got on the Amtrak from Philadelphia to New York, and um, I was so anxious the whole time. I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is happening. I'm doing it. Um, and I all of a sudden, I see this skyline coming up, and I start bawling. I start yeah. crying on the Amtrak. It was New yeah. Jersey. Oh, I started crying in New Jersey. Like, I don't know if it was like fucking Syracuse or whatever, but I started bawling. And I was like, someone's like, no, this this is New Jersey. Is not- <laughs> it was New York. Um, but <laughs> what happened was that I get off the Amtrak, you go underground. If you take the Amtrak from Philly to New York, don't expect a view because it's underground. <laughs> Um, and, um, I switched to the subway yeah. and I'm on the New York subway and I start just bawling again. I'm like crying. I had moments in New York where I just, I just started openly crying like randomly because it was such a huge thing for me. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I was just an emotional wreck, uh, from excitement and, and just like, I've made it, you know, I just felt that little girl who, in all of the insanity of drug abuse and alcohol abuse, you know, still had a dream and I fulfilled it and I made it to the thing. Yeah. And I was yeah. there. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. I thought, I thought, actually thought you were going to say, you know, so I had the wrong skyline, but then I came up and uh, walked into Grand Central Station. I thought that's where your story no, was. No, it wasn't be. Grand Central. Because that would be. No. <laughs> No, it was just like a random subway. I don't know what train it was. Um, I'm fucking, I'm just bawling. 
but it was such a wonderful experience there in, in New York City. And yeah, just having that that dream being fulfilled and, and you know, meeting my, I, I had a friend that I met in Madrid and I met him there and I went to this meeting together and and just, I managed to see all of New York in like a span of five days or something. I nice. still want to visit soon, hopefully. Um, but my, my little, I have a little anecdote because uh, I did go to the world service, the fucking, what's it fucking called? The central office oh, yeah, yeah. in New York. The world services. There yeah. it is. A world service, I have, yeah. you can't see, but I have like two pages of highlighted stuff because I'm... <laughs> It's a three-parter uh, three for sure. It's a three-parter. Israelis are really, you know, in our segment of uh, our new segment of perpetuating stereotypes. Um, Israelis are really opinionated. Mm. That was that, that was a segment. Um, so when I got um, my last day in New York, I went to the World Service. I had a fever. I, I, I started getting really sick my last day in New York. And being there was like a fucking fever dream. I was extremely ill. Um, yeah. They had all these like cool archives and books and it was this store that you had to get into. And it was a great piece of real estate, right? Like, I'm sure. Awesome. But it was so fucking odd. And then they started explaining like the simplified version of the big book. And it sounded like they're trying to convince the people on the tour and themselves that it's a good idea of like, let me tell you about the simple language version of the big book. Let me sell you on these random AAs. And I'm like, okay, I'm, like, I'm not the person who's going to be sold on this, but thanks. Right. right. Hey, I... Interesting. They were pushing that there. I don't know if they were pushing it, but it came up and they were really trying to over explain themselves. <laughs> it's what I remember. Oh, that just kind of ruined it for me. They, Oh, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that, that took some effort. I had to, no, I don't know if I want to visit. It's like an office building, honestly. It's like an mm. office building. They have really cool literature. I will say that. They have some really cool materials and archives, but um, it's just like, oh yeah, this, this is where it got this. <laughs> okay. So like, here's the coffee machine <laughs> that I paid for. That I paid for. <laughs> You all know where all your money goes. People who feel like they're doing service by putting a lot of money in the seventh tradition. You go to the World Services in New York That's... and you tell me if it's worth it. That's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> so this is what you're putting my hard-earned seventh tradition dollars into. And that was an hour and a half on capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick it up again soon.